With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello and welcome to episode 25 of Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast with me, Sean Barker. And me, Sam Davis. And we are recording this on a very special day. It's a day we've been talking about for a while. It's the day when the people finally get to place their vote. What's the decision going to be? It's going to have huge ramifications in the future. That's correct. The AFC Bournemouth retro shirt poll is now live on our website. (laughs) And there was me thinking you were referring to uh, that small thing that's going on in America right now. But sure, no, you weren't. The retro shirt poll. Yeah, well, so go to afcbpodcast.com slash retro and vote on your favorite old school cherries shirt what we're going to be doing is sending the winners into the club and you never know you might be able to don one of the winning kits very soon by picking it up from the club shop exciting stuff will your shirt trump the rest of them no okay sorry bad pun anyway this week It sadly wasn't the result we wanted, but over the next hour, we're going to aim to bring some light relief to your ears and aim to banish those black cat blues. So here's what's coming up. (music) 
Michael Dunn was at the Vitality on Saturday as Sunderland donned their mask and swag bag and came away with a 2-1 win. He brings us his full match report, plus we get your thoughts on the game and then Sean and I will give our views on proceedings too. I'll be bringing you the latest news from Dean Court and although it's now International Week, there's still a fair bit going on so I'll be making sure you're all up to date. And then you may have heard on episode 22, I began my search for Frank Rolling. Now, I did give myself a seven-day window originally, and you'll have heard on the subsequent episode how unsuccessful my search was for for the French hero. Now, we're here at episode 25, so you'd think I surely would have managed to get something from him. Well, I'll update you with where I'm at. I doubt you've got in contact with him, but we'll wait and see. Anyway, on this episode, we'll also be announcing the winner of our FIFA 17 competition. And Sam will be picking a winner out of the hat as we gave away a copy for the PlayStation 4. Good luck and thank you to everyone who entered. And we'll also give you a little bit of info about a yet another back of the net giveaway. Another one! Oh my goodness. Well, of course... We're going to preview the next Cherries match too. It seems like an age away. It's on the 19th against Stoke City at the Britannia Stadium. Now, there's no do you remember this week as Rob Frank is away on a jolly in Hong Kong. Uh, uh, Sorry, I mean a work trip, a work trip in (laughs) Hong Kong. So uh, he'll be back hopefully next week. But before all of that, let's take you back to last weekend and that defeat to Sunderland. Remember, remember the 5th of November. Well, to be honest, I would rather not after our beloved Cherries lost 2-1 to 10-man Sunderland in a match that even the opposition fans considered to be a home banker prior to kick-off. With Andrew Sermon unavailable, Eddie Howe unsurprisingly brought Dan Gosling into central midfield. There were considerably more gasps at the absence of Callum Wilson on the team sheet, although those of us who bumped into him at the mini-kickers session on the training pitches on Saturday morning already had embargoed knowledge of his hamstring injury. Mackham's fans had left the North East at 5am and it's quite possible a handful of them have been on the source since then as they staged an excruciatingly disrespectful sing-song during the pre-match remembrance silence. That nauseating episode aside, the atmosphere was unusually flat in the opening half, as was Bournemouth's performance. Despite dominating possession and creating a few chances, we looked surprisingly disorganised when Sunderland came into our half. The ever-popular Jermaine Defoe received the majority of the attention from Simon Francis and Steve Cook, leaving the pacey Duncan Watmore and Man Mountain Victor and each being considerably more space than they may have expected. These concerns appeared to be irrelevance when our cherries took the lead on 11 minutes. An impressive passing move saw Junior Stanislas unlock Black Cat's defence with a diagonal pass to the advancing Adam Smith, who whipped the ball into the six-yard box where Dan Gosling demonstrated his versatility in front of goal by scoring with his abdomen. With David Moyes' side enduring such a torrid start to the season, there wasn't a spectator inside Dean Court who didn't now expect anything other than a home win for the Cherries. Jack Wilshire was pulling the strings in midfield, and along with Adam Smith and Junior Stanislas, he orchestrated a couple of intricate passing moves which looked sure to extend our lead sooner rather than later. 
It was not to be, as the closest we came was when Junior found the side netting from a tight angle and Josh King drew a diving save from England hopeful Jordan Pickford at his far post. We continued to look vulnerable at the back and on 33 minutes, to the delight of their long-suffering fans, Sunderland were level. Defoe found the need to be with his back to goal inside the penalty area and Simon Francis seemed to bounce off the Scouse Nigerian international as he fell to the floor and allowed Anichibi to turn and fire a powerful left foot finish into the roof of Arthur Boris's net. This unexpected deviation from the script raised the visitors' spirits, and but for a last-ditch Simon Francis block from Jermaine Defoe and the linesman's flag preventing Duncan Watmore from claiming the finishing touch to a movie he had instigated in his own half, our cherries would have been trailing at half-time. It was more of the same after the break, Stanislas almost headed into his own net when attempting to defend a Patrick Van Arnold free kick and after Simon Francis' misplaced pass found Stephen Pienaar, Didier Ndong's Zuta was parried by a retreating Boritz. Benikafobe had replaced the underperforming Jordan Ibe at half-time, but there was little change in the momentum of the contest until fortune favoured our heroes in red and black just before the hour mark. Pienaar raked his studs down Junior Stanislas's shin pad, and with Harry Arter giving the always baffling Mike Dean the full benefit of his interpretation of the rulebook, the referee showed Pienaar a second yellow card to reduce the Black Cats to ten men. We then launched a series of elaborate attacks on Pickford's goal in an attempt to make our numerical advantage pay dividends. Gosling released Stanislas on the left of the six-yard box, and our winger looked certain to score, but his coolly taken efforts swerved onto the upright at the very last moment with the faithful already on their feet. Junior then joined Wilshire in a rapid-fire exchange of short passes before the Arsenal loanee saw his shot blocked by Lamina Kone. Josh King was next to come within an inch of giving us the lead, his hit from close range careering off Billy Jones. Frustration was growing on and off the pitch, and when Adam Smith's poorly struck cross gave rise to catcalls from the Steve Fletcher stand, our right-back appeared to gesture his disappointment with the crowd's reaction. Moments later, there were even louder groans in Smudge's direction when, after Defoe and Watmore had combined to release Anichibi in Sutherland's first meaningful attack since the sending off, Smith felled the giant centre-forward, giving Mike Dean no option but to award a penalty. With Defoe placing the ball on the spot, there was very little doubt about the outcome despite Boris's impressive record of penalty saves, and the former Dean Court superstar duly buried his effort from 12 yards, but still had enough composure to stage a low-key celebration whilst his current team's fans were spilling onto the pitch in unbridled delight. Another round of near misses followed at the other end, with Pickford starring for the visitors. It appeared a phobia could not miss when the ball found its way to him following a penalty box melee, but our number nine again drew a blank when somehow shooting just wide. Pickford pulled off the save of the match from Josh King, clawing the Norwegian's thumping effort away with his right paw after a phobia had nodded Wilshire's high ball perfectly into his path. Lise Musset, who had replaced an on-edge Harry Arter soon after Defoe's goal, saw another chance deflected inches wide and Ryan Fraser's cross shot from a free kick landed on top of the Sunderland net. All in all, an extremely bad day at the office which, combined with the defeat at Middlesbrough last week, sees us go into the never-welcome international break with heavy hearts when all appeared to be going wonderfully well less than a fortnight ago. Covering the weekend's game, that was Michael Dunn, and you can follow him on Twitter at All Departments. And, ugh, another bad result against a side from the North East. Not good at all. Us Bournemouth fans don't like a loss, do we? And it all kicks off on Twitter, and there's also a severe lack of puns. So, credit this week goes to Steve Wright for being the only one to pull something out of the bag with 
black cats prove unlucky for the cherries. But on to the fan thoughts, and this week you'll be hearing from Big T. You'll hear a bit of myself from our brand new YouTube series. More about that later. And you'll also hear from Sunderland fan Hayden. Plus, we hear from the man who cannot pronounce Stanislas. And hello to Matt Hills, who pointed out that he was at it again this weekend. Paul Merson, ladies and gentlemen. Now, as for songs, well... We had a few suggestions, including Road Cherry with How Did We Lose It by Lucas Sapio, and also Missing from Everything But The Girl. Steve Wright said Phil Collins, I Missed Again. But the song we're going to go with this week, not least because it's a cracking track from the 90s band Monaco, is from Mr. Tiggs on Twitter. And as Benicophobe sliced another shot wide, he seemed to look despairingly at the crowd with his hands open wide as if to suggest... What do you want from me? Which is the title of this track. What do you want from me? A goal, Benick. Just a goal. Benicophobia would struggle to finish a packet of mini cheddars, wouldn't he? And what about those bozos at the back? My pumpkins at my neighbour's house could have done a better job than them. What a load of rubbish. What do you want from me? It's not how it used to be. You've taken my life away. I was just on TalkSport 2 just a minute ago, chatting to Danny Gavidon and Ian Danter. I'm a bit unlike the Twitterati, and yes, our defending was a bit suspect. However, I kind of feel as though the fact that we didn't take our chances, that's more of a a cause for complaint, because the two goals they effectively scored were down to individual defensive errors. Finally, tell you what, it's... It's been a long time coming, but finally, we're in November and we've got our first Premier League victory. And it, we didn't half make it difficult, did we? Happy to see, um, relieved is the main word. It was such a stressful game to watch, especially down to 10 men. Then we got the penalty. I was still saying I'd take a draw, but we'll get the win is massive. Um, shows a lot of character, and I'm just hoping that we show that character throughout the season and you know, steal by the skin of our teeth, please. Bournemouth, Eddie Howe were probably looking, he'd probably think they'd switched off. When they had a player sent off Pienaar, they got caught cold at the back, and that's where the penalty come from. Bournemouth, a lot of missed chances, paid the cost. Sunderland, two up front, say no more. So thank you very much, Mr. Michael Dunn, for the match report and everyone who contributed to the fan thoughts, including Hayden there, the Sunderland fan. Good to have the opposition view. There was one pun, as we discussed, and also uh, much appreciated for for the fan thoughts. So, yep, 2-1 at the Vitality on Saturday and uh, a very depressing results and it's not very nice to talk about but um you know usually when we start these matches sean we start off with a lot of gusto and we press really early and we look as though we're up for it but it didn't sort of seem to happen did it on saturday 
Yeah, I know. It was that was kind of the disappointing start was after the game at Borough, and you kind of had to talk about the, from the players, which is you know, oh, Mid- Middlesbrough is like the wake up and whatever else. I did think we were going to come out and really go from the off, and I mean, although we look fairly comfortable, it's just right from the kickoff. They're just as Michael said, there just seemed to be a, a slight flatness still, which yeah was just a bit puzzling to work out why that was the case and why we didn't come out really firing um but then having said that on 11 minutes we scored the goal and um ah oh, the pass from Stanislas yeah that was amazing yeah it really was the weight of it more than anything else was superb and um he could see as soon as Stanislas had the ball Smith was bombing on you, I mean, as the camera was at the angle where you could see them both, you could just see that that was going to happen. But it was just the weight of the ball and then the pace of the Adam Smith cross. Uh, like I said on our YouTube channel, which we'll talk about later, it was delivered so well that it didn't even matter whether Gosling was going to touch it or not, really. But he did. I don't know if it came off his belly, his midriff, his stomach or whatever. But 1-0 started off well. And from that point... I was thinking 2-0, 3-0. What were you thinking? Were you thinking it was going to be a whitewash at that stage? Yeah, like I said, I still felt we we were fairly comfortable and it was like, okay, we've broken them down early because you felt that they were going to try and hold out. Um, And yeah, again, we just kind of, we just flatlined really. It was like, okay, we've got the goal and I know we had a couple of other chances. There was the King chance where I actually think he snapped at that snatched at that a little bit the one that was kind of straight at Pickford but you know we kind of broke them down a little bit there and um Jordan Ibe um I mean I know Eddie said we need to be patient and he's just a kid or whatever but the reality is he he had an absolute shocker I think I counted at least six incidences in the first half where he just gave the ball away and it was like if it was any other player on the park I think the form that he's been in he would have been out long before. And um, I understand why Eddie was keeping him in there, hoping he was going to kind of come good. I think really, I think we've made that point where, okay, now it's going to be flipped. I think he'll be on the bench and it will be, come on with 20 to go and let's see if we can get your confidence and let's see if you can terrorise, which we kind of tried to do with Max Gradle's performances this season. And I don't think he's really taken his chance. So I think it's a big uh, it's a big couple of months, I think, for Ibe. And him him performing poorly in the first half, it felt like we almost had 10 men out there. Yeah, he was running down blind alleys at times. And it, it was quite telling, actually. Not good for a radio audience, this. But as soon as you said Jordan Ibe, I sort of winced. And because I knew uh, what you were going to say. And it wasn't. It wasn't a great performance by him, but Bournemouth did carve out a few opportunities. I mean, as as Michael said, you know, Stanislas had a had a snatched effort, but then uh, Jermaine Defoe for Sunderland, he was obviously getting very frustrated with what was going on. You could see him uh, making hand gestures to his players, uh, you know, about the lack of service that he was getting. They were losing the ball in the middle. The high pressing from the Cherries midfield was, you know, was really good. And, you know, that three in the middle, even though Gosling sort of came in and was uh, new, so to speak, it was um, it was still really tight. But he then sort of came back into the middle to to try to sort of play a bit deeper and create his own opportunities. But it was actually... Jermaine Defoe that created Sunderland's first goal when he played it into a Nietzsche B, wasn't it? 
Yeah, it was. And uh, when we played them last year, I remember Defoe was very much up front and isolated on his own. And I think they were just putting these high balls up to him, which he was never going to win. So, yeah, they kind of changed that around this year and had Anichibi up there with him. And you thought, oh, yeah, adventurous too up front. But as you say, they just weren't getting the ball. So hence Defoe dropping deeper. He plays the ball into Anichibi and Simon Francis has got to do better there. I mean, he's a big fella up front. He's got his arm out. He's strong. You can't dive in. You have to hold your ground. And, you know, when you watch it, especially when you watch the replay back, there was an opportunity, if Francis had stayed on his feet, to just shepherd him wider and wider because he was kind of going nowhere down that channel. And it was only once Francis is on his back, well, then there's an opening to smash it into the corner. But it's another, we said it a lot, it was another poor goal to concede. And, of course, that's what they wanted. They wanted to get back into the game and... So we go in at halftime, 1-1. And, do you know, I had that in my head. I'm thinking, just get to halftime because in Eddie we trust and he's going to be able to have a chat to the team. He's going to be able to sort out any issues we've got. He's going to be able to give them that kick that maybe they needed to really fire second half. And then they come out and second half kicks off. And if anything, actually Sunderland kind of had more possession and for a little spell were bossing the game. Yeah, they did. I mean, that that was what it was like towards the end of the first, and they and they carried that momentum on really. And uh, I, I I don't know. For me, when Sunderland did get their equaliser, I I sort of thought it's going to be like Hull again because I thought you know we've been on the whole dominating this. I did want us to score before half time, but I thought that the uh, the first sort of uh, fifteen twenty minutes in the second half would be really important. And you know, the longer it sort of went on. Um, the more I thought, hey, I said, this isn't going to happen. Now, on 55 minutes, um, that's when it started to change again because Sunderland were all over it. And then we had a we had a shot from Jack Wilshire, and it it seemed as though we were getting sort of back into our groove. And then only about five minutes later, it was the sending off Sean. And uh, what what happened there? Was it was it the challenge or was it the actual aftermath? Because it, it seemed that the referee was it Mike Dean. I think it was. He 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 gave the free kick and didn't brandish a card. But then there was, was some words exchanged. And then all of a sudden, that was it. He was off. Yeah, when I, when I watch it back, yeah, you see Mike Dean seems very definite. He's got his arm up and he's very straight. There's no kind of look at his pocket. There's no arm going into the pocket, which does, yeah, like you say, make you think that maybe there was a bit of... Um, something said, or as some opposing fans have said, well, Bournemouth are so well trained and you watch Harry Arda and, and Stanislas immediately running to the ref saying his studs are up. And I mean, when you watch the replay back, it actually looks horrific because he's gone over the top of the ball and he's crashed on the side of the leg. So it was a, it was at least a yellow card. Um, if it, if he hadn't have been booked, I think we'd have been watching that replay back going, should have been a straight red. So yeah, in that respect, it was the right decision. It was just, yeah, what his thinking was. I don't think we really know. There are there are lots of uh, teams that say going down to sort of 10 men almost sort of galvanises the team performance. And I do agree with that. But for Sunderland, I thought never, never in a million years, they're going to absolutely fall apart. But they didn't. They hung in there, didn't they? And then they got the second. It was a pen, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it was, I mean, they immediately, they pretty much pushed Anichibe and, and Defoe out wide and played this kind of 4-5 formation. It was like, okay, well, they're, they're not really going to make any effort other than 
you know, they're a Premier League side, and at some point, surely they'll make at least one chance. So their their mm. their motive was let's not concede and see if we can snatch one. And and I mean, it was attack versus defence, wasn't it? Really, from the sending off on, it was like a training ground exercise where they sat deep on the edge of their box. We just you know could dribble for thirty yards until we got into that last third, and then they'd engage with us. And we were knocking it around and whatever. But you just felt like, oh, God, they're going to have at least one chance. We kind of, were we a bit too gung-ho and chucking too many back when they, because when they did break on us for the goal, it, it was, yeah, it was like desperation times. And Smith's chasing to try and get back. Again, he's dived in when probably he shouldn't have done. Having said that, if he hadn't have dived in, was Anichibi's next shot touch going to be a shot from... 10 yards and one-on-one, you know, so definite penalty. No one really complained as much as Boric has got his great record. Yeah, it was like, maybe Jermaine will do us a favour. You know, doesn't like scoring against us. He's going to put it over the bar. But but from that point on, there was still that sense because we had so many chances and so much possession. It was just a matter of, well, we're going to get a chance to score. And if we get one, I felt if we had scored to go to all, I still felt we would have won the game. And I guess the, the thought I've got, and this is kind of happens in these kind of games, is we've created so many amazing mm. chances, right? The only thing we haven't done is is score. But does it mean we actually played well and we just need to take our chances? Or do we look at it and go, we were awful, we played terribly? Because did we play? It's one of those conundrums, isn't it? If a defence mm. plays terrible, and if we'd have got pumped four or five near, or let's say the defence had a shocking day we'd be saying surely what an awful team performance flip it the other way round we didn't score four or five which we probably should have done we've lost the game so should we be saying it's an awful game or do we just need to take chances yeah very interesting i was reading some views on twitter and some people were saying that the whole team had a shocker i don't think that was the case the goals that we conceded in my opinion were two individual mistakes frane went down too early and smith he made that rash challenge when uh he could have done better um so defensively i don't i don't think um it was our worst game by far and you know i think there are still problems in defense i.e what we're going to do in the next game when Smith's out. I'm sure we'll be talking about that in our preview. But the team as a whole, I thought, you know, they played quite well considering uh, Dan Gosling came in. They forged out a number of chances, 22 shots on goal. The clinicality, if that's a word, Benikafobe, for instance. I mean, he had a number of chances to score. Jack Wilshire had a chance as well. Oh, I don't know. Um, I think to carve those opportunities is a good thing. So I don't think it's necessarily bad. Yeah. Although you kind of got the impression towards the end of the game, it was almost like players didn't want to shoot. Like it was, it was one of those where it was, you know, there was times it was coming into the box and it was all a bit half-hearted because it was like, Oh no, you shoot, you shoot. That person that's just going to go, I'm going to take this and I'm going to win us this game. I don't necessarily feel that was there from the striking options we had. I mean, Musay came on and everyone's been saying, we want to get see Musay pretty tough for him I mean it's his first Premier League action and he I think he looked off the pace not through his own ability I think just it's the first time he's ever experienced a Premier League game and he's you know he's not used to that intensity so certainly the first couple of times he when he finally did get on the ball they were on him pretty quick and he lost it and didn't really have a huge impact yet with Benick it's just the weight goes on I mean the one he side-footed wide 
I mean, it's just bad technique. Just put it in the net, man. You know, Stanislas, where he's hit the post, he's actually done most things right. He's opened his body up and whatever else. He's clearly gone to place it past the goalkeeper. Kings had that volley, which Pickford's oh. tipped over. And, ah, oh, I don't know. I think it was a pretty good save, but I think I think Pickford would have been disappointed if it had you know, if it had gone in, I know some people are saying what a wonder save it was. It wasn't right in that top corner. He'd still fancy his chance of uh, saving it. But again, at least King had a snapshot. But, you know, is King a, a real clinical finisher that finishes 95% of his chances? No. Um, yeah, just interesting. We're looking at, you know, you start going, well, oh, January transfer window, where are we going to strengthen? It's like, are we going to go out and look for another striker? So we've tried grabbing we've tried a phobe and yeah it's kind of mm. up up for debate but in the end yeah uh, a frustrating way to go into the international break so just a you know just a quick uh, question before we wind up and go into the club news i mean you've been around sean for a while you've been there through the highs and through the lows how how do you feel personally after matches like that do you go into this kind of hysterical mode like i've seen a few people on social media do or have you got a uh, a more kind of a reasoned view after matches like that yeah it's a bit um i don't watch match of the day i can tell you that so <laughs> good <laughs> you know normally kind of you know watch match of the day and i do have a for for a couple of days it's just a total disconnect from football and i bumped into a friend of mine in the street who's a man united supporter yesterday and he was like, oh, what do you think about that Chelsea game? And I was like, do you know what? I haven't even seen the result. I just just, <laughs> I just drift off for a little while. But I don't know. It's I still find this Premier League thing a little bit odd in that when you're ultimately playing to just, you know, if we stayed up, I still think that that's for priority number one. Again, as kind of as much as we want to push on, you go, are we good enough to get into Europe yet? probably not are we going to be winning the league no so you still look at it and go well over the course of this season I still think we're we're way too good to go down and I don't have any concerns that we will he says touching as much wood as he can get his hand on um (laughs) but um yeah it's um (laughs) I'll edit that bit out Um, I've totally lost my train of thought well can I just say that um just to just to interrupt um just just as a, as a quick aside, Eddie Howe's always wanting to improve season on season. And I feel as though matches like this uh, are going to maybe increase his longevity at AFC Bournemouth because he says that he, he wants to have a, a particular target in mind. It's these kind of last couple of games that are the games that I think he feels as though he should be winning. So I'm kind of hoping in the long run it may it may work out that Eddie will stay with us longer. Um, interestingly, on Twitter, Mr. Tiggs tweeted us and said about the whole game, Good build-up play, but about as clinical as getting your ear pierced by Big Susie behind Greg's in Watford. Thank you very much, Tony. That was superb. Well, unfortunately, or fortunately maybe, it's international break. So Mr Barker, I hear, may have a bit of international news for us. AFC B-Club News. Wilshire's back with the Lions. Gareth Southgate watched two Cherries games in a row and it is now clear he was there to check in on the Arsenal lonely as he looked to get his international career back on track. 
and so the decision to come to Bournemouth appears to have paid off as Jack Wilshire has been included in the England squad for the upcoming games versus Scotland and Spain. Southgate told FATV, It's been important for him to get regular football for Bournemouth and I've watched him a couple of times in the past couple of weeks. We know the quality he possesses and it's good for him to know we have belief in him and that we want him in the squad. Now just don't get injured, Jack. Moles know nothing as Harry looks set to lock in the greens. Contrary to strong stories from the back of the net moles, Harry Arter looks set to be named in the starting team for the Republic of Ireland this week, thus finally playing a competitive game for them, which then removes the opportunity to play for England. On last week's show, I think it was Sam, announced that we had heard there was a good chance Harry could switch to the three Lions, but either we've got the worst moles in the world, or there was a switch back to the Green of Ireland at the last minute. I'm guessing it was the former. You're fired. Is the stadium expansion back on track? An update on the website of Tanner and Tilly, the town planning and development consultants working with the club, has caused a stir of discussion amongst Cherry's fans online as to whether the stadium expansion is now progressing. All had gone quiet after the club said they were parking the idea, but the website updates seem to imply that the reason for delaying was due to the council not being satisfied with the landscaping to help the expansion fit in with the look of the park's surroundings. However, Tanner and Tilly are hopeful that this issue has now been resolved and approval can be given in the November planning committee meeting. Interestingly, the page on their website that had all this info has since been deleted since being passed around on the forum, and to date there has been no statement from the club. The plot thickens. AFC B Club News. So that's the latest from the Vitality Stadium. Thanks, Mr. Barker. And interesting, you talk about these moles um, and you say I was the one that said it. Now, Sean, that's not the done thing to say because I definitely wasn't the person that uh, that mentioned that. But um, I actually find it really sad that he's going to be playing for Ireland because I would love to see Harry playing for England. But also interesting news there about the stadium and the press release on the Tanner Tilly website. To me, I don't know if I can believe a company called Tanner Tilly reminds me a little bit of Bodger and Badger there, but interesting news about the stadium. Yeah, I mean, it's a bit odd. It might not be a story at all, or it might be a story. Um, It was picked up, yeah, by um, someone on the forum. Sorry, I haven't got the name, but um, well done, whoever it was that spotted that they had updated the website. But then why did they then delete the page? That's kind of like, well, is there something a bit more to it? And so, yeah, I think, again, and I think this is where the club need to be with their communications is, you know, is Bournemouth fans 
jump on this kind of stuff pretty quickly because it's you know the, the history of the supporters is we've we've had to be so involved with the club in the past whether it was with fundraising or whether it was with volunteer or community trust whatever it is so there is a deep um connection with the club so anything like that is picked up on and and maybe you could argue that with the bigger clubs uh, maybe people have been a bit more diluted to news but the fact it got deleted yeah makes me think huh um i guess yeah i mean with the with the cherries trust you know being set up now and you know grown their membership some people are saying well maybe those guys can step in and and i i certainly think they are and i think there's there's going to be some discussions and actually maybe we should get the cherries trust back on the show um at some point and maybe get a bit of an update on what's going on yeah, we heard from the Cherries Trust originally when they set up, and uh, you can go back through our archives to have a listen because we had a had a chat with Stu Bramley. But yeah, certainly would be very good to get them back on the show very soon. But moving on now, Sam, I felt like last week's show you dodged a bullet because if you remember correctly, on last week's show it was meant to be part two of the search for Frank Rolling. Now. You didn't mention it at all, and the show just kind of passed by with not a mention <laughs> of the Frenchman. Good rhyming. Um, but anyway, I'm going to hold you to task now. You said it was going to be seven days, and that was all it was going to take for you to get something from Frank Rolling. Your first attempt, I mean, basically was a Facebook message, and that was it. But <laughs> it's time to front up Sam Davis. And uh, so let's find out, listeners, did... Sam Davis tracked down the elusive Frank Rolling. So, my search for Frank Rolling has been somewhat unsuccessful so far. I Facebooked him, and despite the two ticks icon to suggest that he's read it, he hasn't responded to me. So, I've now gone plan B. This week, I've sent him a message via LinkedIn, and I've also gone around the houses to find out his personal Gmail address too, and I sent him an email. Now, I did this about three hours ago, and let's just refresh the inbox. Oh, I've got an email! Oh, Viagra and Cialis. Hmm. No, no response just yet. Now, most people would have given up by now, but not I. I will see this through. It's not like I'm stalking him, is it? Surely not. Anyway, I was doing some more Googling in the week, and after typing in his name, I actually scrolled down as far as the second page of results on Google. Who does that? I certainly do. And I saw a website entitled The Search for Frank Rolling. That's right, the same title that we use for this feature. I hope it's not copyrighted. Anyway, this site seems to be from a Leicester City fan who is using the blog to tell stories of players gone by, Frank being one of them. But why is the whole website called The Search for Frank Rolling? Why not call it something generic like Finding Foxes or The Leicester Investigator? No, that doesn't work, does it? So earlier this week, I sent an email to the author, who did get back to me. He said, Frank is a mystery. I've tried to contact him so many times, but he just hasn't responded. My friend requests have been ignored, and we just wanted to get him for a couple of minutes to have a word with. Yeah, know the feeling, mate. And whilst I haven't updated the blog in a while, my search does continue, and I won't give up until I'm done. So great. 
It turns out I'm not only in a fight to prove to Sean that I can do this, but I'm also competing with another guy to get Frank first, so I decided to step on the gas. My first step was to paste his email address into iMessage. Now, if you know iMessage, you can use email addresses as well as phone numbers. If it turns blue, it effectively means I'm texting the guy. That didn't work. And I've also done a bit of a scout around, and I found a phone number for him at his work address. Now, obviously it's a French number, so it's plus three three. So, if my online efforts don't result in anything this week, then I'm going to be ringing him on next week's show. My worry is that he's going to think I'm a little bit weird. I've Facebooked him, I've tweeted, I've emailed, I've sent a message via LinkedIn, and I've sent him a message via his work Facebook page as well. No response whatsoever. Ah. Incidentally, as I've been speaking, I've just found him on Skype as well. Do I? Nah. Maybe we'll try that as last resort. Well, Sean... You can't say I haven't tried. Ooh, I've had an email. (gasps) Frank Rolling! And it's got an attachment! Oh my goodness, please tell me. Play. Bonjour, my name is Frank Rolling, and you're listening Back of the Net. Get in! Sean's going to be proud of me. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, go on, just one more time. Bonjour, my name is Frank Rowling, and you're listening Back of the Net. <laughs> Très bien, Samuel. Très bien. I cannot believe we actually had Frank Rowling on the show. I would like to think that Frank actually saw the email and the messages the first ever time that I sent it, but he was just sat outside a cafe, chomping on a baguette with some boisson and a nice glass of Cote de Rhone, and he thought, oh, I have an email, I must action that sometime soon. And I love the way that he actually is so so French and so casual, he doesn't even have to say the word to, he just says, you're listening, back of the net. (laughs) What a guy! Yeah, that's great stuff. And uh, thank you, Frank, for getting involved. And um, I think I think we need to go a bit deeper with this relationship. I think we need to get a, a, an interview with Frank because I, I, you know, I want to find out. Looking back now, how does he feel about that Wembley game and missing out? And so many questions for the man. So we may get Frank on again, but for now, Sam, you can say case closed. Yes, I'm really chuffed, and he actually did give me his phone number, although he was so casual, he got it wrong the first time, and he sent me another one to say, sorry, the last digit should be a three and not a nine. I thought, oh, I love you, Frank. I love you so casual. So anyway, born with a back in action, and it's oh, 11 days away. We've got, to, we've got to sit through England, Scotland. That should be quite entertaining, but yeah, it's on the 19th. We travel to the Britannia Stadium, or whatever it's called now. Is it still called that i don't know but we're going to stoke on the 19th and it was the fateful venue where that incident happened to callum last season so don't want any repeats of that but we're going to be a bit changed because adam smith is out he of course picked up his fifth booking at the weekend so there's going to be a bit of a change um sean i 
I've got no idea what Eddie Howe's going to do. Have you, have you got any thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it's going to be an interesting selection. I think for a couple of reasons. One is um, obviously Sermon has been injured and, you know, Eddie said that, look, it's going to be a little while, but maybe the international break's going to be enough and he's going to be back. But having said that, I actually think Gosling played pretty well uh, in the last game. So he got dropped for Sermon after the illness where Gosling played pretty well. So does he stick with Gozza? Uh, yeah, the defence, that's um, potentially it's, I know it's it, it's bad because Smith's missing and I think he's been playing really well, but it kind of forces the decision to make a change to that back four, which lots of people at various points of this season have been crying out for. So we are mm. going to see a change. Um, yeah, but is it Aki, who did very well at centre-back in the cup game? Or do we see Mings? Do they come in at centre-back? Does Frano push to the right? You know, it's... Uh, but then people have been saying, well, Daniels needs to make a, you know, dropped and for Mings to come in. I, I can't see him mm-hmm. changing... 50% of the back four for this game. So I think if there were any form doubts about Daniels, my gut reaction is is that he's going to remain because Eddie's not going to want to do a big shake-up, in which case there's just going to be that one. Uh, yeah, what do you think about the, the back four? Yeah, it's really it's really interesting. Now, I've always thought that Frano is actually as great as he's adapted to centre-back uh, over the sort of season and the last season. I do think his best position is right back. So I would like to see someone else come in, but then I don't know to have 50% of, I mean, I know that it happens, but it, it seems such a crucial position for someone new to come into Um, someone who's relatively, I mean, even, you know, even Ake, what's he had? He's, he's had barely a half. I honestly don't know what he's going to do, to be honest. Um, I know that there's players like Mark Wilson and stuff, but then he's not even been named on the bench. So for for the first time, I'm absolutely clueless. And it's not it's not it's not going to be easy against Stoke because I'm going to talk about their form in a minute. But have you got any thoughts, any thoughts who can come in? Well, yeah, and it's interesting. Let us know what you think on Twitter or via Facebook. Um, and then you go to the front three and let's go, OK, Ibe's going to come out. It would be my pick. And so then you've got Stanislas one side. You've got King on the other. But then who's your top striker? If Wilson's still out injured, we don't know how bad or what extent of his injury. So does a Fobe stay and you go, look, mate, you just need to stick the ball in the back of the net or are we going to keep King up the top? And he seems to have been liking bringing on Fraser. So do we go Stanislas and Fraser? And it's, well, it's a, Yeah, it's conundrums. I think there's only one person that we need to bring back. He knows how to hit the target. A goal machine, Sam Surridge, bring her back from Pool Town. He's got a hat-trick at the weekend against Chelmsford. They won 4-0 and he scored three. Bring him back, goal machine. No, but seriously... Callum Wilson, uh, it, it, it all depends how bad his injury is. Um, it was great, by the way, to see Mark Pugh back on the bench. Um, we'd love to see him get some kind of minutes because he can always do a job. Yeah, and actually going back to the game, I was, with with Sunderland sitting so deep, I actually thought this that was a good opportunity for Pugh because, you know, one of the things we say of Pugh is well, he hasn't got the pace to get past defenders, but when defenders are sat on the edge of their own box, that's where Pugh can unlock that 
cross or through ball. So I was surprised, actually, um, that Pugh didn't get the nod. And I think that actually would have also given an injection to the crowd and a kick up the bum that that some supporters say that the uh, Dean Court faithful need uh, sometimes, Jamie. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that, so that was surprising. So I, I don't know. I, I don't expect Pew to come in, to be honest. But there's definitely decisions to be made. And, and of course, with the international break, <sighs> no, who knows? Is Jack going to get some minutes for England? Is he going to get through those minutes? Because he's becoming more and more important so lots of uh, I think from our side lots of decisions to be made but yeah Sam just give us your knowledge on Stoke Stoke, well, their form has really picked up uh, considerably. Now, their last loss in the league was in September. That was September the 18th. They lost 4-1 at Crystal Palace. It was quite a, it was quite a rough time for them actually, because they uh, the previous week they'd lost 4-0 at home to Spurs. But since then, um, in the Premier League, one all at home against West Brom, one all away against Man United. 2-0 win at home against Sunderland, 2-0 away against Hull, 3-1 at home against Swansea, one all away against West Ham. And I know you're probably looking at this thinking, West Ham, Swansea, Hull, Sunderland, they're not exactly big teams. But then Nora Middlesbrough and Nora Sunderland, and we know what happened with the Cherries with them over the last two weeks. So they're in good form. But I don't know, to me, it kind of is the run that, at one at some point will come to an end and i think it could be against us so i think i think we can get a win out of this you know sean and i'm going to go for 2-1 i don't think it's going to be a goal fest or anything, or anything like that but i certainly think that we can come away um with a win and i'm fancying mark Pugh to get on the score sheet oh wow we dreamland sam davis in dreamland reporting live um, for me, so, I yeah. uh, I played the game on FIFA 17 on the PlayStation 4 coming up very, very soon. We will be doing that draw live to see who wins a copy. Ooh. And on my game, I was playing on World Class. Steve Wright did ask me what level I was playing on. Suffered a 2-1 defeat. Oh, man. Which, which, to be fair, I think I probably, if I was being optimistic, I'd say one all. Um, but... I'm going to stick in the hands of the computer world. 2-1 to Stoke. I'm afraid the run continues. Bonjour. My name is Frank Rowling and you're listening Back of the Net. There he is again, that cheeky French scamp. Love him to bits. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Frank. We're just going to use that all the time. <laughs> now, though, it is time for the big prize draw. So over the last few weeks, thanks to EA Sports, we've been running a competition on our social media platforms to win a copy of FIFA 17 for the PlayStation 4. And so we did a review of the game, and then uh, the last couple of weeks, people have been retweeting and commenting and doing all that stuff. And now is the time where we're going to pick a winner. So, Sam, you're the techie guy. It's over to you. 
Yeah, so what we've done is we've taken everyone who has retweeted and what we asked you to do was to tag on Facebook as well. So we've done that. We've put everyone's name here into a random name generator. I was thinking about getting a big sheet of A1 paper, cutting it into about 500 million different pieces, but I thought that's going to take too long. So here we go. The name list is in. Let's hit the button. And we have a winner. And, oh, it looks like a Bournemouth fan. The winner is Dave Witt. Dave Witt, well done, monsieur. Ooh, congratulations. So, Dave Witt, you have won yourself a copy of FIFA 17 for the PlayStation 4. Thanks very much to our friends at EA Sports. So we will get that game on the way to you soon. We'll send you a message. And if you weren't lucky enough to win the competition, then obviously FIFA 17 is in stores now. And I'd recommend you go and grab a copy and then take me on online. I've had a few offers and I, I feel like I'm ready now to start smashing some people at FIFA 17. So get in contact. Let's have a game. And well done, Dave. Yeah, brilliant stuff, Dave. So there are more giveaways on the way. And Sean, is that? Can you just can you just pan your camera down a minute? Because I've I've got. A yeah, you're wearing it. It's the Eddie Had a Dream T-shirt, and we've got one to give away now. If you don't know, Back of the Net, of course, is a podcast, but it's also its own global televisual conglomerate. Basically, I'm telling you, we've got a YouTube channel. So after the end of every Cherries game, within a couple of hours, we upload a video onto YouTube. The channel, if you need to find it, is youtube.com slash podcast. And we give our instant views on the game. And we'd also welcome your opinions too. So feel free to tweet us during the game because we will mention your tweets too. So it's a bit knee-jerk. And then a few days later, Sean and I come together and have a more considered view of the match. But all you've got to do, if you're loving those videos, just press subscribe. Because anyone who subscribes to the channel is in with a chance to win one of our glorious Eddie Had a Dream t-shirts. We'll keep the competition open for a few weeks. But do press subscribe because it means all of our videos will come straight into your inbox whenever we upload one. Good stuff. And also, don't forget, we mentioned at the start of the show that the Retro Bournemouth shirt poll is now live on the website, which is afcbpodcast.com forward slash retro. So on last week's show, we did speak to Gareth Davies, who is a kit guru and also writes for the programme. He's been in discussions with the club. This is just give you an update in case you didn't hear last week. And the club are open to us running this poll. So we've got 10 classic Bournemouth shirts online for you to vote your top three. Once all the votes are in, the top three selections are going to be given to the guys at the club shop and the guys at the club in the communications department. And they're going to see the results. And there's, I'm just going to say, there's a very good chance that at least one of them could be made in the next batch of shirts made by Score Draw, the company that put all the retro shirts currently available in the club shop together. So do um, tell as many fans as you can um, online or just down the pub, and let's get voting so that we can get the purple away. Uh, 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 the <laughs> democratic selection. It's rigged. It's rigged. It's rigged. Oh, I've heard that somewhere else before. But yeah, so we will get the uh, results after. Well, we'll let it run for a fair while, eh? 
Yeah, and uh, if you, you know, even if you're maybe of a younger age, do just even check out the page and just check out some of our astounding kits. If I'm gonna just, um, I'm gonna make an opinion here. I love that black and blue striped shirt. It was absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, that one's a nice one too. So, yeah, so it is a big day. This is recorded on the day of, uh, as well as the retro poll going live, of course. The American elections, by the time you hear this show, the decisions have probably been made. I'm here in New Zealand and we're we're a day ahead. So we already know the answer of who won, but I won't tell you. But uh, yeah, England, you're going to need to wake up tomorrow to the news. Yeah. So other than that, it is now the international break. So we will not be doing a show for two weeks because we're not going to do one after the England games because who knows what's going to happen there. Maybe you'll watch it. Um, so we will be back after the Stoke game. So just so we're very clear, there will be no shows for two weeks. We're not being lazy. It's just the way it is. So we will be back with our free podcast after the Stoke City game. But we thank you very much for listening to the show over the last however long it's taken to get to this point. And you have been listening to Back of the Net, the AFC Bournemouth podcast. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.